Well, good morning, everyone. Both of you, anyway. But, uh, good morning. Uh, my name's Ian Marlow. I'm involved in the leadership of the church here. I also ran a business based in central London. So quite a bit of this would have been written on the 717 to Liverpool Street. So any spelling mistakes on the slides, I am blaming on Abelio Greater Anglia. They deserve it. Trust me. Um, there is apparently an Asian curse which condemns the person you wish not to bless <laughs> to live in interesting times. And we certainly do live in interesting times. I mean, who five years ago would have thought that the leader of the free world uh, would look like this? Sorry to spoil your breakfast. And I love the you're fired pose. He certainly hasn't gotten out of the habit of doing that while he's in the White House. Except that people seem to write letters saying, I have been asked to resign. That's the way it's done these days. But it's fascinating, isn't it, if a little disturbing, that foreign policy is being announced by tweet these days. It's maybe a sign of the intolerance of the world, the greater desire for nations to look after their own ends and distrust their political classes. And uh, who would have thought this was going to happen? All organised, as I understand it, by David Cameron. What we need is a referendum that will finally sort out all the dissident voices in the Conservative Party. That went well. So we are in the middle, at the beginning, towards the end of Brexit. I, you know, I've heard all three yesterday. Who quite knows what's going on? But it does feel like we have a very divided country with a seriously uncertain future, where there's great concern about the perceived arrogance of the professional political class, and a deep disturbance at the divide between the haves and the have-nots, sometimes just north and south. Of course, for some people, the challenges are much more serious and immediate. Whatever you think about immigration, for people to do this takes some degree of desperation. Concern about how they're going to feed their families, about how they're going to grow their crops, because we're at a time of great change in the climate. And all the scientists say, sorry, Donald, that this is a change that we're going to struggle to reverse. And uh, he's definitely living on an unstable part of the world at the moment. But so are we. And given that sat here we are a few metres above sea level, maybe we should be deeply concerned as well. Of course, change has already, always been here. That's the only picture I have of my granddad. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you sunbathed in the first half of the 20th century. You can tell it's informal because he's undone the buttons on his suit jacket. But I love that. That's a beach somewhere in Kent with a waistcoat, tie and watch fob. And you're all thinking, whatever happened to the sense of style in the Marlowe family over the years? I know. <laughs> 
Change has always been here, and fear has always been here. Some of you remember that dropping through every door in the UK in the 1970s. It says, this booklet tells you, and I kid you not, how to make your home and your family as safe as possible under nuclear attack. And just so as you learn something from this morning, let me tell you what you're meant to do. You're meant to unscrew all the doors. Obviously, they hadn't had the hinges painted over for generations. You were then meant to lean them against the wall, put a mattress against it, and put presumably conveniently handy sandbags you had up the sides. And when the bomb dropped, you were meant to stay there for 48 hours. You've got something educational out of this morning anyway. It was never entirely clear whether you were meant to live like this in case it happens or do it between the flash and the bang. But being British, we just laughed, made a cup of tea and pretended nothing was ever going to change. But the fear was real. This is where my father was in June 1944. He landed on D-Day. I never discovered this till after he died. The beach had been taken by the Royal Hallamshires, cheer from Anne for Sheffield. <laughs> and then they took Bayer on the second day because the commander disobeyed orders and withdrew from the city to stop it being destroyed. And several days later, they ended up at this place, Tiri-sur-Sui, can't quite pronounce it. And they met there Panzalia, the commander of which was indicted for war crimes after the war, for atrocities against French civilians and the March North, an SS Panzer Division and a Hitler Youth Division. And that place changed hands. Sorry. Makes me emotional when I, because my dad never spoke to me about this, ever. That place changed hands 23 times in 19 days. After the war, if you go there today, Everything was built in the mid-50s because it was razed to the ground because there was nothing worth standing. The moving thing is that there's a museum in a ruined abbey, and if you can just about see it, above these scenes of carnage and horror, there's the broken figure of Christ. To me, that's deeply poignant, but you might say, well, that's fine, but... What's Christ got to do with the reality of what we live through today? My dad, has to be said, after the war, apart from never speaking about this, he, I think, only ever went to church on Remembrance Sunday and Christmas. He struggled until later in his life when he came back to faith. So what does Christian faith have to do with real life? The pictures don't help, of course. Jesus is resolutely European, in most pictures that are painted. He never got stopped going through immigration in Heathrow by the security services. But maybe the real Jesus might have been. There's that slightly ethereal look, as though you kind of avoid him because he'd be the boring one at parties. The fascinating thing was, if you read the New Testament stories, the thing people always did with Jesus was invite him to their parties. It's quite fascinating. He seemed to have such a life about him that people wanted to get to know him. Now, remember, when you're thinking about Jesus Christ, the stories that we have, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are about Jesus. 
They're all written down within the lifetime of the people who witnessed the events. And also remember, Christianity at the time was a, a minority persecuted faith. Most people wanted to close it down. And they didn't. And they didn't say, this is just such nonsense. And before we get culturally arrogant, at this time, our forebears in this illustrious aisle were running around daubing ourselves with woad. So maybe there's more sophistication there at this time than there is here. And I want to just give you a taster of one of the stories. I'll read it to you, make a few comments, and then we'll have a few thoughts at the end for you to go home and consider. It goes like this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Galilee, you'll probably more commonly know it as, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is Simon, who became Peter, you'll know as Saint Peter, you know, the big basilica in Rome, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Let's just flip back to the beginning of that story. If I can click the right button, we'll get there. Slightly too far. Thank you very much. Someone's on the ball anyway. Now, it's fascinating the context of this. If you've ever been to Israel, or at least if you're familiar with the maps, you'll know Israel is a tiny little country to the east of the Mediterranean, and it was on the trade routes to everywhere from everywhere significant. And consequently, it was on the invasion routes from everywhere to everywhere significant because power followed the money. And if you read the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, there's lots of invasions going on of God's people having to live out their lives in faithfulness in the middle of real difficulty and often great perplexity. This time, we're at Galilee, up in the north. The north of the Lake of Galilee is the Golan Heights, still disputed, still, depending on your perspective, under occupation. And at this time, the entire country was under <laughs> occupation. The Romans were the current superpower, and they So, in the, if we can imagine the Trinity the <laughs> dancing like that, three rather than two. Sometimes, they're always together, so these that, are that, people that grace, that, that oneness. Under oppression. 
It makes us think of joy. What we know already it, from some of the other that. Gospels but if we, is if that we can get Peter the icon and Simon back up again. and their friends had already met Jesus. They were on a journey. We, we can, if that we return to this icon, to we, we can see in, in their communion the space left for the, the viewer, and it took a while. Who's invited to, to join honest, the circle? My journey to faith. This is a community like that, that invites humanity is like to join that. in. There's the occasional and one in our passage today. It's actually Damascus quite hard Rose to disentangle the communion of Jesus and the Father from the life of Jesus followers. As an atheist, and that's and why actually I had to use examples from earlier in the gospel. For most of us, for the interrelationship of Jesus and the Father, reading out, may they all be one. About the, Jesus, the stories one, about Jesus, because we're united with God in Christ. As you are in me and I am in you, time. may they also be. So there they are. They're listening to Jesus. I in them and you in me, that they he may wants become completely one. From, so in so that he kind of intermingling, that interpenetration of Father and Son, and he stands we too, we can hardly be there. teased out or extracted from that interlocking unity. Somewhat bizarrely, he says, and this let's is the reality fishing. of our life in Christ. This is a strange so end to the talk. On it as often I must as try it might. someday. You know? What should we do in response? Let's go fishing. It would be novel. We are the body of Christ, who is in the Father, as the Father is in Him. I don't know how Peter reacted. I don't know what you do for a living, but I know how I feel when someone who isn't a professional tells me how to do my job. You know, we all do. Doesn't it annoy you? We are never alone. They've come to you for help, but they're going to tell you how to do it because they don't know how to do it. That'll work. So here's Peter. Professional of course, the people of God have been able to say that for thousands of years. You think of and Psalm 23, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow now, of death, I fear see, no evil, tired. for you They've are been with me. Fishing all night, how much which is the time now, we were meant to do it. Us, filled with the Holy Spirit, They've got nowhere. part of the body of Christ. And Peter would be forgiven, you would think, for saying... And what else does that mean for us? Yeah. It means that the relationship changes us. You being the fisherman and me being the preacher. No, sorry, it's the other way around. What do you know about this? Jesus. But there's something the about Jesus Paul, that makes we him gradually become in reality what we are theologically. Become and what the you story are, says Paul. We discover Live a life worthy of the, the gospel the of Christ. The result is that it doesn't happen the fishing overnight. is so successful it nearly kills I was baptised as an adult them. over 30 years ago, and the I'm still appalled by the way I can sometimes behave like a complete plonker. But, I, but I'm better is than I was. <laughs> I, there's a bit of be. me being a businessman <laughs> that thinks Better that Peter must have I had a moment where he says, even Paul this is great. Says, with forgetting what lies Jesus behind and, and straining boat, forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal <laughs> this is how for you the do prize it. of the heavenly call of God in become Christ a millionaire. Jesus. Who needs Donald Trump? I'd do it myself. Perhaps some of us need His to do less is navel-gazing over our own sins and shortcomings and more just pressing His on. His fishing ability has been questioned. His boat is half sinking. The joy of and the he Lord. falls at Jesus' feet and says, Jesus, in this passage, please I speak me. these things so that they may have my around. joy made complete That's in themselves. bizarre. My but joy I can kind made of complete. identify with it because of course we can't be full of joy all the time this Gospels, side of eternity. We'd just be grinning I, I idiots. Was, wouldn't I was just stunned. But if we could allow some Jesus space for joy to bubble up in us, even though we he could think whether we're allowing our life to become too full of ideas rather than and too full of truth for people to handle. This Jesus who made above all, how does this change us? Jesus prays that the love with which you, the Father, have loved me may be in them believe that. The love with which you, the Father, have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
if this is what a human well, we being is We started off by thinking about like, the loneliness that people I'm can experience in, in a city like Cambridge. This is just full of people. something altogether people different moving on. from my experience. And God invites and I found us myself all to become part in of kind of equal measure fascinated to dance, and disturbed in the joy, by Jesus. And I think that's the, the kind love. of thing that's going on here. To know and, love and then we discover Jesus then tells them they're going fishing they're again, not but not there. for fish anymore, and they leave their Once businesses. Once we've joined the circle, we are, I suggest, asked to open him. it, to invite others no, in. Not everyone to that does that. So they given too his story can share about how the joy he of went the to dance. be a missionary. Now, the dance in a nice we saw earlier, obviously, was just two people. It was great, great. And to then see. came back and is in full time. There are other forms of dance that have more of a sense and of left community her, of drawing uh, people successful in. Career and, and we've got to another Spencer's clip of a flash mob Trust me, dance. don't do it for the money. I should warn you, though, just two or three seconds of a song that perhaps we might one. not choose to but have in church. But there is a call. But I thought it was worth Jesus having for, for the sake of the difference. So if we can see the and next And of course, if you know the story, you'll realise that it all ended in... Churches like that, who, who wouldn't want to join in? This, you can't see it probably from where but, you are. Did you notice it, there, I mean, obviously the people lined up to join in, but even those who looked to me as though they weren't part of the original mob, the they wanted to be part of it. Um, it and everyone's in medieval that, dress, because that, that's that all they joy. could imagine. But so I wonder whether like at the end of we Jesus could take life, time this week to, to meditate on John failure. 17, to meditate on the it's Trinity, so. if you even, read the on the community of, of the Matthew, Trinity, Mark, Luke, and, Luke and John, to bring to mind our part stories, in the divine community, to think of those we might know who are hovering the on the edge of, of the life. dance, to stretch out gospel, our hands half to draw of the gospel in. is about that last week of his life, in Jesus' name, about the crucifixion and the subsequent events. Why oh, is Lord it God. that for these early Christian in writers, our past, someone stretched out the their hand and drew deal. us into your divine dance. And I think the answer is something like this: that that feeling Father, that Peter that felt we may with be Jesus the channel of being to draw unclean, others in to the joy. Leave me, I'm sinful. The thing the I felt of your just community, not living up the to the measure, Father, Son, and Holy is what Spirit. the death of Christ, Amen, is the answer to. Because through Jesus' death, we're told, we're forgiven for all that we've done wrong. And more than that, as he died, he opened up a welcome for us into God's family. So that our sense of lostness and loneliness might be met, first of all, in the love of God, but then in the community of the church. So the Christian message is about a wonderful God who out of love sent his son to come down to earth in a difficult situation. But it's also about a son who died so that we could be forgiven. And the story, if you read on, doesn't end there. That's a first century grave that Jesus would have been laid on, laid in. Remember at the time there may be, what, a few hundred people who believe in him? Not much more. The Romans want this shut down. The religious authorities amongst the Jews want it ended. And then the story comes out that Jesus didn't just die, but he rose from the dead, which you might think is the most fantastic myth of all. But actually the evidence for that is what convinced me was that Christianity was true. I became a Christian. I had an experience of God's love. And then I spent a couple of years trying to unpick it all. Because surely, 
this is too good to be true. Surely I just had this sort of, I, I needed a father figure, so I believed in God who was a father figure. And I wanted to know, is this really believable? And I, I just spent a couple of years reading while I was kind of enjoying being a Christian, but full of questions. And the thing that utterly convinced me was looking at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus that I found utterly compelling. But don't believe it because I say so. That's a terrible reason for believing anything, even though I told my kids exactly the opposite when they were young. Think it out for yourself. And let me just mention a couple of ways you could do that, and then we'll draw to a close. Let me encourage you to read the Bible. That's an old version, full of these and thous and shoulds and shouldn'ts. Um, we have at the back a very modern version. Or you can just find a free one to stick on your iPhone, which is how I normally read the Bible these days. It's a copy of Luke's Gospel, which is the third, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which is the story about the beginnings of the early church. And he starts it off by saying he wanted to write a historical account that just went through what Jesus did and what it meant. And that's Luke's Gospel. So let me challenge you to read it. Dare I say, most of the people who I meet who have rejected Christianity have never actually read the stories. So can I challenge you? Take one of these if you're not yet a Christian, read it, and I dare you to say before you do it, God, if you're there, show yourself. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? That someone thinks you're mad because you're speaking to thin air. If that's the worst thing that happens to you this year, you're having a good one. So take one of these, read it, and think. One other thing you can do, and this is the last, is to come to Alpha every year, January through to about March, we run an Alpha course. There's really good food. If you're dieting, you're going to struggle because the food's too good. Uh, there's really good company. You meet absolutely fascinating people on Alpha. I love going. And you have the chance to explore Christian faith and to ask all the questions you ever wanted to ask. I've sat in an Alpha course a few years ago and someone said... Um, how do you answer the question of all the suffering in the world? And uh, so I just said, well, is, is that a big issue for people here? And one of the guys who was Polish said, my mother died in Auschwitz. You meet interesting people on Alpha <laughs> and have fascinating conversations. So if you're thinking about Christian faith, let me encourage you to come on. We'd love to see you there. It's com completely free. The food is great. Have I bribed you enough? Are you getting the picture? We'd love to see you. So, finding hope in this world, I found real hope in the person of Christ. I struggle at times. Who doesn't? I'm perplexed at times. Who isn't? I have questions. Quite a lot of them, actually. But we all have those. But I found, as Blake has done, that that Jesus does make more sense than pretty much anything else. And that following him is a great adventure. So let me commend to you. Take one of the Gospels at the end. I'm going to be at the back with one or two others. Really happily talk to you. Come to Alpha. And if you're waiting, wondering when the service is over, you're nearly there.